0: Hello and welcome to the Biz Design Enterprise Architecture podcast. My name is Will Scott, and in these podcasts, we talk to leaders in the areas of enterprise architecture and how they and their teams deliver value to their organizations in advancing strategy, optimizing operations, or reducing and managing risks. Today, I'll be interviewing Chris Dalby, Continuous Improvement Lead at MS Anland. Chris has deep and rich tenure in the areas of operational excellence and regulatory compliance in the financial services space. In this podcast, Chris talks us through how his group is leveraging the power of enterprise architecture to develop the processes and tools needed to satisfy the regulatory requirements MS Amlin is required to comply to in the financial services industry. So let's go to that interview now. So Chris, Welcome to the Business Design Enterprise Architecture podcast and a Happy New Year to you. It's it's great to have you on the call today. I think it would be great uh, if you could just give a brief introduction to yourself, uh, the company you work for, and how you ended up in the role that you're working in right now. That's always really useful for our listeners. Yes, thank, thank you, Will, um, and Happy New Year to you too. So my name is uh,
1: Chris Dorby. I'm the Operational Excellence Lead um, for MS MSAMLIN. Um, MS Amlin is uh, a speciality insurer and reinsurer. Uh, we're part of a, 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 a larger group, MS and AD Insurance Groups, which is headquartered in Japan. Uh, most of the focus of your part of the organisation that I work in is London, London Insurance Speciality Insurance Market, the Lloyd's Market as well. Um, so my role there is I lead a team of operational excellence professionals. Uh, we're essentially an internal consultancy function which provides uh, a bit of partly uh, part enterprise architecture, part business architecture and part uh, operational excellence improvement type focus.
0: And tell us a little bit about your career background. Where did you uh, come from and how did you end up in this role? Uh, yes. Yeah, so my back, so I've been in the
1: operational excellence world for uh, a number of years, really, probably fifteen odd years plus. Uh, I've been in ba- I've been in insurance world for over twenty odd years. Um, my my background actually started off work life in an operational insurance role, uh, running uh, contact centres, running claims administration centres for large retail insurers. Um, I then moved on and spent a lot of time working alongside consultants uh, trying to improve our efficiency of our organisations. Um, and developed uh, a bit of a, an aptitude for that type of work and ended up taking a sideways move into that work where I um, joined a program um, to uh, get my, my Black Belt, my Six Sigma Black Belt, then did my Master Black Belt, uh, continued to run the team um, for, for that organization. I, uh, I spent a little bit of time um, in telecoms Spent some time in the telecoms world um, as head of Lean Six Sigma, working for Virgin Media. Um, And then from there, I went back into the insurance world for RSA Insurance as their head of process control um, and their UK process leader. Um, I then spent some time at Lloyd's of London, where I led their operational excellence function, um, was also their head of change um, where I sort had of a broader remit, both operational excellence and business change focus, um, before um, joining MS Amlin um, and spending some time with them as their OPEX leader.
0: So that's great. A, a, a rich subject matter expertise in the area. And that's always great. We'd love to have you know, people like yourself on this call talking about their particular area. Uh, Chris, I know, um, one of the things that is interesting to you is the intersect between enterprise architecture and operational excellence. These are often seen as sort of adjacent categories. Some companies really see the strength of two sort of uh, combining other organizations may not be aware the two organizations within their company exists. But I know one of the areas you've been looking at carefully is the area of operational resilience, particularly in financial services. Um, can you talk about first of all wh- why that's so important in the financial service industries and why that's got such a focus for you and your team?
1: Yeah, so over the last four or five years, there's been some fairly high profile incidents occurring in the financial services market in the UK, um, such as sort of large data losses um, and uh, loss of sort of customer service. So I think you know, Lloyd's Bank was was one of the, the, kind of the big ones, which um, was uh, essentially had customers that were failing to be able to get access to their money and their bank account details and so on and so forth, that prompted the UK regulators to put to really look at operational resilience as a hot topic and something for all uh, financial services companies should be able to, to be resilient in the face of outages and disruption. Uh, so uh, over the last couple of years, the PRA and the FCA, who regulate the UK financial service market, have uh, issued a number of papers on the subject and are working towards um, regulation which is to come into effect. It's been delayed over COVID-19. The, um, the, the actual implementation date is still up for debate. We're expecting there to be some significant movement on this in Q1 of this year with a view that organisations should start to put their plans in place by the end of 2021 uh, with a two-year implementation period thereafter. So it's, it's a really hot topic. Um, what, what, what does it mean for us? It means that we have to be able to demonstrate to the regulators that our most important business services, those services that we offer to our customers, um, are, are resilient to disruptions, they're resilient to either deliberate or, or accidental uh, disruptions that are cause, and that we are able to respond quickly and minimise harm to both our customers to ourselves, uh, our, our own financial viability, and
0: also to not have a negative impact on the financial system as a whole in the UK. So That's really interesting. It, you know, oftentimes operational excellence and great enterprise architecture practices are seen as a nice to have in many industries, mm. rather than a must have. But now you're dealing with regulatory compliance issues. This is not. This is not a choice for MS Amlin. You have to. Make these demonstrations and 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 prove that operation resilience to the regulatory authorities. Is that is that correct? That that is correct. Yes, absolutely.
1: In some ways, it's sort of a perfect storm for us because. Um, it gives us the the real the leverage that we need in order to make a real impact in this area in this space. You know, it's a business imperative that we do this. Um, we uh, there's there's a number of our um, competitors that we work alongside in terms of sharing knowledge and approaches on this as well. So it gives us it gives us a really good opportunity to to embed some of the best practices and ideas for operational excellence and, and enterprise architecture have had around but sometimes have lacked the, the burning platform to do something about in a meaningful way.
0: That's perfect. So talk to me a little bit more about sort of the maturation process you've gone through. You know, what's the journey been like so far, particularly in terms of leveraging enterprise architecture to help you do your job? And what sort of things have gone well and what sort of things have you learned along the way as you look to, you know, fulfill these, these requirements?
1: Well, so I've I've only been with MS Amlin for uh, about eighteen months now. So, and we've started with a relatively low uh, base of maturity on this. Uh, yeah, the insurance industry as a whole, particularly the specialist insurance market as a whole, um, tends to be quite traditional in its operational practices. Um, an enterprise architecture, therefore, has been seen in a lot of cases. I wouldn't say in all cases, but in a lot of cases, as being the the domain of the uh, of the IT arena um, and not the broader business change arena. Uh, and therefore, we have we have some you know some uh, excellent practices in place within our IT. But it was uh, an IT tool that was used for um, for their internal purposes and not necessarily. Um, being used, uh, exploited outside of the excellent work that IT have been doing. So, um, my, my experience, my background, so I've done this in a number of other organizations where we've taken the principles of uh, uh, certainly the business domain, the business analysis domain, and looked at. All of the component parts that deliver good service to customers, that deliver robust services to customers and deliver efficiency and have built out um, some business architecture principles and enterprise architecture principles to understand how that comes together and what, what the effects of that are. So, for example, um, when I was at Lloyd's, we spent a lot of time looking at capability-based planning, understanding what business capabilities we had, how they, set, how they sat um, uh, from a, uh, from a priority perspective and strategically, which ones were the most important, uh, but also where were we investing our time, our effort, um, and our expenditure um, on those capabilities and where we spending them in the right area. And just doing a sort of simple bit of analysis around that enables us to really start to push forward in uh, in the enterprise architecture world, start to understand what that then means as, as those capabilities line to our IT systems, into our strategy planning into our business process analysis and so on and so forth so um, I, th- I think you know that you, you talked about you asked the question about that maturity journey for me it was it's really about understanding where the appetite and the, the where the, the desire and the opportunities are within an organization to work out which is the best. The most important first steps to take, and the direction to take, and which elements are the most to bring for, to bring into the uh, to, to bring into the approach. Um, in MSAM, we are doing that because, from operational resilience perspective, we are, are looking at our important business services, and we're asking ourselves, okay, so so these are our most important business services. They are underpinned by a set of processes and core processes that sit transversely across the organization they are underpinned by um, by by applications, by uh, by physical servers. They are, well, in, a, in a pre-COVID world, they were serviced in physical locations um, and there were data that was flowing across uh, all of those core services. So we have to understand that. We have to understand those linkages and dependencies to understand where the resiliency breakpoints are. And therefore, where we need to focus our efforts to improve resiliency across, uh, across those core services so enterprise architecture is really critical for doing that, but we have to um, be quite pragmatic about how we build up that, that level of understanding and the approaches that we use
0: that's great and as uh, you know for a change leader such as yourself, Chris, you know oftentimes we like to think of change initiatives that span sort of three vectors of people, process and tools or or, you know enabling software such as the business design software as you reflect back on this 18 months is any of those vectors were the most challenging um or or are they equally challenging and how do you sort of balance the progress of changing tooling changing processes and also educating and changing the culture of the organization what's your reflections on that um
1: i think the tooling was it was a um was an easy sell for us because we you know, we recognized that we needed some dedicated software to enable us to uh, record our um, our certainly the business architecture side of what of, of what we were doing uh, in a robust way that provided easy access to uh, numerous stakeholders across the organisation. So there, there was a, a, you know, a universal acceptance that we we needed to do something in that space. Um, the challenge has been for us: how do we how do we demonstrate value um, and insights that we are creating using that software in a timely way, so it doesn't become something that you wait two to three years to, to, to get understanding from? So we are, you know, we're taking this in small bite sized chunks, where we have a, a maturity model that we're working towards, which looks at the various different elements of the enterprise architecture. And which ones are most important to us over the next two to three years to build up. Um, and therefore how we then start to play that into into the software.
0: Um, yeah, I think I just made the comment there, of course. You know, showing wins early and often is so important to any change initiative. You can't be sort of saying, I'll show you the value in three years, right? Because then you're gonna lose momentum and, and steam behind your your initiative. Exactly. And I think you know we know from the operational
1: resilience regulation that there are specific outcomes and outputs that the regulators will expect us to have and see. So we've had to think about very carefully about how do we use um, uh, how do we use Enterprise Studio and Horizon to uh, provide us a framework and a structure for those outputs in a way which is not a large overhead for us can be produced fairly quickly. Uh, but it also doesn't require a lot of ongoing maintenance and, uh, um, uh, and development time on them. So that, that, that's been a real kind of area, area of focus for us. Um, and you know we've we've made a real effort and point of going out and doing lots of demonstrations to senior stakeholders around the organization of the content that we're building up and the capabilities that we're building up to uh, I, I, it's to, to generate that interest but also to give confidence that we're heading in the right direction.
0: And you said, so the regulations go into effect at the back end of 2021, is that correct? So Tell us a little bit more about what this year holds for you in terms of this initiative. So, what, uh, so yes, we're
1: expecting the, uh, the regulation to be published at the end of Q1 in 2021. And with there, with there being sort of further insight into when the regulation will actually come into effect, it's likely to be over a sort of two to three year transition period starting in 2021. Um, A focus for us this year is um, to agree, document our important business services that exist, uh, understand the nuances uh, across each of those important business services and document the end-to-end architecture that underpins each of them. Uh, so we have a lot of work going on where we are We are modeling the processes. Um, we are looking at the applications that sit under them, uh, the, the locations where the activities sit and some of the technology sits and so on and so forth, but also really looking hard at our customers that sit at the end of those processes um, and understanding what would be the potential impacts to them if we had disruption to any element of that architecture. Um, so if we, lost a, you know, if we lost an application, what would that mean? Um, and, uh, and over what period of time would that, would that impact um, really start to cause intolerable harm for those customers? So we'll be doing a lot of, of modelling, a lot of data gathering, a lot of analysis, a lot of scenario testing, and, and on the back of that, generating some, some, uh, the reports that will, will give us the foundations for, for um, abiding into the, uh, the regulation. Uh, that, that's that's really the key the key focus for us, because the regulation hasn't been presented yet. There is still a lot of interpretation of what the regulators are looking for, and as is typically the style of the UK regulators, it, it's, um, it's it's generally um, uh, sort of guidance orientated rather than s- uh, specific deliverables that you have to be able to produce. Therefore, uh, we are learning a lot about um, uh, the best approaches. Uh, we're having to do a, a number of pilots to, to see what works, what doesn't work. Particularly when you're looking at what is, a, you know, we are a, a low volume, high complexity organisation, so it doesn't typically fall into some of the the, the you know the uh, the typical oper- operational excellence approaches that you see out there.
0: And do you have an opportunity to um, validate with the regulatory regulators in this just the sort of pre-formal publication phase, like? You said you're looking for this and then you provide them a demonstration of deliverable and say, would this complete it? Is it, is it collaborative like that? Um,
1: partly, yes. I mean, so there are what,
0: one of the benefits of working in the London insurance
1: market. Um, so in the city of London, uh, you've got, uh, you know, all, all of the main uh, international insurers sit within the square mile of the city of London for a reason, because they, they interact very closely with one another. There's a number of market industry groups that, that get together on a regular basis that are talking about the approach on this because um, you know, we obviously don't want to set up an approach which is completely different to our competitors. Uh, we don't want to overkill it. We don't want to underkill it at the same time. Um, but that does give us an opportunity to call the regulators into those groups to discuss our approaches so we have a collective approach as, a, as an industry as opposed to as an individual organization. And and that makes the regulators' job easier as well because they don't have to treat every organization individually on that. You know, there are, there are hundreds of us who work in this marketplace, hundreds of these organizations. Um, so they want, uh, uh, to some extent, a standardized approach to this. Um, so yes we can we do get to bounce things off the regulators we do get to discuss it with them but we tend to do it more as an industry group rather than as independents
0: well that's fantastic chris and i've got to say it's great to hear that at that level of regulatory compliance competition can be suspended and this is the groups of companies working together with the regulator to to for the benefit of all there's no reason to be so-called competitive in this situation this is about regulatory compliance and assurance of uh, stability well, Chris, I'd I'd like to thank you for your time today. Um, it sounds like you've got an exciting year ahead, and hopefully, twenty twenty one will be better than twenty twenty for sure. <laughs> um, and I wish you the very best uh, with this initiative. Sounds like you've got your plate full, and it's 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 a pleasure to have you as a customer of BizDesign. And as always, um, you know it's great that you're leveraging the power of enterprise architecture to fulfill your particular mission. So Chris, thanks so much for taking the time today and I uh, hope you have a great day. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris and his story of how he and his team are leveraging the capabilities of enterprise architecture and his team's remit within MS Amlin. For more podcasts, blogs and recorded webinars, please visit us at bizdesign.com where there is a wealth of information available. And if you'd like to tell your EA story and feature on this podcast, then please email me, willscott, at podcast at bizdesign.com. BizDesign is a leader in the area of enterprise architecture software and supports enterprise architecture teams in delivering value to their organizations with a key focus on the value outcomes of strategy advancement, operational efficiency, and reducing risk. Thanks for your time today.